The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, it is one, it's, it's scriptures like this, that are, and among others, where I see Christianity set apart from every other system of belief and system of religion. This is such an absurd claim. If we look at this passage, it's such a ridiculous claim that God, holy, wise, perfect, majestic, eternal, creator of all things, that he can be our dad, our father, and we can be his children. And this can be, this, this relationship as we see in Scripture, as it's described for those who trust in God, is one of father to adopted children. I remember one of my first movies ever that I watched. Uh, I guess this will show you how old I was. Well, this is the Annie, Annie, the, the, the movie that was made in 1982, uh, the musical Annie. And I know that Annie, this movie is based off of uh, you know a comic series and then uh, the Broadway play and and then in 1982, they made this movie uh, called Annie. And this, of course, was about this young orphan girl who uh, temporarily visits um, this home of, of the wealthiest man around, uh, Oliver Warbucks. And she would later be adopted by, by him and his, his family. And he's, he's, the most, he's the richest man that has ever lived. And, and he's even the most expensive. Forbes actually just listed him in 2007 as the richest fictional character ever. Okay? <laughs> And, and Daddy War, uh, Oliver Warbucks is worth ten zillion dollars. They even say that ten zillion dollars. It's not a real number. It's but it's a little bit more than a, a bajillion or a gazillion. But he's very very rich. Uh, he's he's just this titan of industry. He's personal friends with you know FDR. He's he's this amazing man. There's there's no one more wealthy and influential than this man. And it's such an unlikely pairing between him, he and, and this, this orphan girl, this orphan Annie. She's disheveled when, when she comes and visits. She's, she's got this, you know, ratty dog and uh, dumb dog. You, you know, the songs are coming back now, aren't they? And, and here they're paired together, and we see, obviously, that through the course of this relationship that both hearts are, are melded together and united, and we see this, this, um, this strong man, his heart breaks for this girl, and we see this girl finally finding a home a permanent home to belong to. Uh, she realizes that her family, uh, her parents have, have died. She's searching. Never going to find them. But then she finds this home with Oliver Warbucks. And it's, what's unlikely is that this man, this, this strong, powerful man, his name has changed from Oliver Warbucks to Daddy Warbucks. And this is, the, this is what she calls him, Daddy Warbucks. And it's so ridiculous and so profound and amazing that that he has this title he has this name so powerful as he is that someone calls him daddy well the bold claim of christianity is that by faith god is our father that god is our dad and and not just like any any father but but a perfect father that he's actually perfect and I think that walking through this passage, it'll help us to reflect on this, to embrace this, to, to rest, and to live in light of this dynamic relationship that God invites us into. As seeing him not only as, as God most high, but God our Father. 
not substituting one for the other, but a fuller picture of who he is. And so the first thing I want to look at, and you can follow along in your bulletin, is this, is that we all have a deep longing to be adopted, a deep longing to belong. And this was true for this audience that Paul is writing to. These people who have come now into Christianity, they have a Jewish background, they are now new Christians, and Paul is teaching them the truth of Christ and what he has done. And now, as we've learned, there are people who have come along and are teaching other things. And they want to be a part, they want to belong to this, they want to be a part of Christ and to know him and belong to him. But they're confused, they're conflicted, they're hearing different ways, different answers to the question, how do we become a part of this relationship? How do we get in? How do we belong to what God has for us? How do I make sure that I am safe in this relationship with God? That if I were to stand before him, I would be right. And they want to be in this inner circle. They want to be in the, in the group. They want to be in, so to speak. And this causes some anxiety. It causes some doubt, some confusion. I don't want anything to happen to, to put me outside of that, that inner circle of privilege with God. And, and we want to belong, don't we? I, don't, I haven't met a single person who didn't want to belong to something. We all want to be a part. We want to be a part of a family or a group or a, or a club or some kind of affinity. We want to identify with others. Even sometimes the desire to not be like others is a sense of belonging into something else. And this is the danger, there's danger in, in, in wanting to belong. Because if we want to be a part of something, there's two things that, that happen. We either try really hard to be a part, or we resist that and we rebel against it and do something else. I know it's really immature to think this way, but I'm sure that we've all felt this way at one point or another when we want to belong to so take an earthly example, for instance, a, a group of people or a group of friends or um, some kind of uh, environment we want to be a part of and we want to get in. We want to identify with them, and so we try really hard. Sometimes we even watch what they do or what they wear or how they act or talk, and we, try to, we, we, we emulate those things. We imitate those behaviors and styles to, to fit in, to be a part. And, and a lot of times it can make us look in and feel very insecure. And we say, well, I'm not like that. Is it, what's wrong with me? And we see that we have a difference in us. And so we start to feel anxious about that and insecure about that. We overanalyze everything. But then there's the other way. This may not be you, but the other way then is to resist it. And we say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't care about what they do. I'm going to do my own thing. There was a group uh, in my high school that, uh, of guys that couldn't make the, ba- the baseball team. They tried out and they couldn't make it, and so they started a group of their own. It was called the Yoo-Hoo Club. Every Friday in the cafeteria, they all drank Yoo-Hoo's together. They had membership cards and everything. You know Yoo-Hoo, like the chocolate drink? Okay, you're with me? Yeah, I made the baseball team, by the way. I wasn't. <laughs> They're good guys. Still my friends. And I guarantee not a single one is going to hear this podcast. So... <clears throat> They, but they, they, wanted, they said, we don't, want, we don't care about that. Who needs that? Let's do our own thing. Let's be a part of our own thing. And so they resisted. They rebelled. They, they wanted to be a part of it. And as we dig in to reflecting on the beauty of, of belonging to God and being adopted by God, it is good for us to see how we at times can act in both of those ways as it relates to our relationship with God. Well, how do I get into this? How do I be a part of this relationship, this belonging? And so we try, we pursue 
we pursue it, we try to, to be right, we try to fit the bill, so to speak. And then if we see some weakness in there, we feel unassured or insecure. Or another thing we do is we rebel again and say, well, gosh, this, these are just rules. I can do my own thing and I can rebel against that, that system. I don't need to do what God says. You know, the Gospel of Luke tells us of a story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a, a very rich man who had two sons, the elder son and the younger son. And the younger son rebels and he go, takes off and he demands his inheritance and he goes off and he squanders it. And then the elder son stays home. And we learn that through, through that story is that both sons, one in their attempt to do right and one in their attempt to rebel, both missed out on the blessings of God. And so in our search for belonging with God, we realize that, well, what are some ways that I try to earn God's favor and his love? And what are some ways that I resist him and rebel from him and do my own thing? And our longing is found in Jesus. Our longing is met in Christ. And that's what Paul, the writer of this, is wanting us to realize that we come from different angles and different stories and different backgrounds, but our belonging and our adoption is found and met in Jesus. We are invited into this relationship by His grace through faith. And that's the second thing. We're adopted through faith. Now, if I were to ask you, what, what is the mark of real spiritual maturity? Give me some examples of somebody. How do you know if someone belongs to Christ? How do you know if somebody is a Christian? What are some defining markers of this person that makes you say that person's spiritually mature? And there's some misconceptions that might come to our mind as we think about this is what makes a person spiritually mature. The first one is, is time. And more time does not equal more belonging with God. And that is well, that if we spend a greater amount of time reading the Bible, a greater amount of time spending time in church, a greater amount of time investing in things and learning things and reading things, more time in prayer, that we will somehow become more belonging to God and more a part of this inner circle or this relationship. Another one that you might have is more commitment equals more belonging. This may be the person that just says, I'm not going to give up. I've made a commitment to Christ. I'm a Christian. I, I'm, I'm loyal to God. So no matter what happens, I'm just going to barrel through. I'm going to persist because it's me and God, and I, and I made that decision. Now, of course, this is a good quality, but it doesn't necessarily lead to a meaningful and personal and intimate relationship with God. Because more commitment and just more drive and more hunger doesn't necessarily yield more belonging. Another could be more purpose equals more belonging. And this might be you if you say, I just I feel like I'm more a part of the family of God or more a part of God's, God's family and, and appreciated, appreciated by Him if I, if I do things, if I serve in the church, if I, if I sing, if I, if I greet, if I give money even, if I have a purpose for God, if I'm doing something very useful for the world, then that will make me more belonging to God. If I have an impact on creation or in someone's life, then I'm somehow more a part of this relationship. And lastly, one that I could think of is more personality equals more belonging. You know, you look at some people and say, well, they just, what, they're obviously a great Christian. I mean, look at the charisma. Look at the dynamic. Look at the personality that they have. That's the, I want to be a, a Christian like that. I want to be a Christian that's just really charismatic and, and has a ton of personality. That's Surely that's what God would want. But more personality, more zeal, 
doesn't mean more belonging. And verse 26 shows us that it is by faith is the mark, the real mark of spiritual maturity. Faith is the real mark of belonging to God, to being in His family. For many, the Bible is, is a weight. It's, it's heavy. We read through this and, it's just, and, and we feel just like burdened by it. All the things that we must do, all the things that we must be. And we get to a point, and I've been at both of these points, and maybe you have as well, where you say one of two things. You say, well, I just don't want this anymore. There's too much. It's too exhausting. It's too burdensome. I need a break. I need a break from just trying to be everything that God wants me to be. And another person might say something very different. Another person might look at the weight of of the Bible and all that it says, and they say, I just need to try harder. I just need to wake up and and I need to be more dedicated. I need to be more persistent. I need to pray longer. I need to have a plan. I need to have this time every day and, and do all these things. I just need to, I need to fit it in. And both of these things do not necessarily lead to more belonging. but only faith. Because by faith, we are no longer, Paul says, under the law. There is no religious ladder that we need to climb up that says, okay, now I'm at this level, and if I do this, then I get to another level, and we keep climbing this ladder, and finally, hopefully, we reach God. We simply rest. Our faith brings us into this relationship as one of us as adopted children, Belonging to God forever. And we simply rest in that. We rest in the completed work of Christ. We rest in the promise to accept us and receive us by faith. And then Paul gets very, I see pastoral, he gets very personal. He, it, it, he, it changes a tone slightly here. And he says to them, remember your baptism. And do you see that there? He says, don't only remember your baptism, but remember what it means. When you were baptized, did it mean that you had accomplished something, that you had attained some level of character, that you had attained some level of obedience, and then you were adopted? Or were you adopted as a sign of God's promise to you that you received by faith? We're looking to belong, to be incorporated in this relationship. And baptism is this sign and seal of the promise of God and all of his blessings that we receive by faith. And Paul says this, he says, As many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism by itself does not put on Christ. It does not engraft us into this relationship. But our baptism points to our faith which unifies us to Christ and his family forever. And there may be a lot of mystery. I understand this. There's a lot of mystery in my own mind, my own understanding of baptism. But here is what we know, that baptism is not a badge of our character, a badge of our honor. It's not a badge even of our faith of saying, here is what I have done. Paul is saying baptism is a badge of the promise of God that you received by faith, that all of his relationship, that all of his promise, that all of his blessing would be yours as you believe in him. It makes us think of our baptism. 
It makes us think also of, of those, if we are a Christian, if we behold and, and grab onto the promise of God and we say, yes, I believe this, that it is not by my works, it is by His grace I receive Christ, I'm unified with Him, and yet we delay baptism or we say, well, this isn't important or this isn't something that I need to do. And Paul says, this is vital, this is so important. No, it it does not save you. It does not unite you to Christ. But it points to the promise of God that you receive by faith. So we, as Christians, your baptism is a good thing. It is good news. It is a privilege to participate in that. It is a reminder of the promise of God that is yours and mine by faith. And we look at our baptism and say, this wasn't about me. This wasn't about what I had done. This wasn't about my character, my obedience. This was about God's promise to give me everything that is His if I believe in Him. And I receive that promise. And I bear that sign. And so if you are a Christian who has not been baptized, be baptized as a privilege and a blessing to participate in that. Talk to me. Say, I need to do this. And if anything, wherever there's disagreement, where there might be, the agreement is this, that if we trust in Christ and follow Him, believe in Him, in His promise and not in our character, if we rest in His completed work, then this mark of His ownership is for us. To be baptized, to look at that, as a blessing that He has given to us. It is a reminder that by faith, we are invited to share in all that Jesus has. Let's look at that last thing, that we are invited to share in all that Christ has. This is the fruit of adoption. And this is the most beautiful thing that we can see in all of this. What is the point? What is the fruit? What is, okay, we, we look at adoption. We look that we long for it. We look at the, the, the basis of our adoption as the completed work of Christ that we receive by faith. But what happens when we are adopted? We become heirs to the promises of God. Now, let's flesh that out a little bit. You know, Janae and I have these baby books. We have these baby books. No, we have two of them, one for Cohen, one for Kate. And in these baby books, they ask a lot of questions. You're supposed to put in things like, a, you know, the first you know, a hair from the first haircut and, 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 and pictures of each month of their first year or whatever. And then there's a section of what was happening, what was big in news when, when, uh, on their birth. And Cohen, as we're looking back, well, the big thing is kind of, a, it's, a, it's shameful and it's embarrassing, but the biggest thing going on in our country uh, when Cohen was born was uh, William and Kate got married, okay? Big news, big world news. And so we put it in there. There was nothing... And the biggest album that was out was uh, Katy Perry's album, you know. <clears throat> and so we're like, well, we've got to put it in the book. This is what was going on. Welcome to the world, Cohen. And then, <laughs> and then we have this one, we have this beautiful book that was gifted to us for Kate, and we're looking through it and answering the same questions. And, and the big news that was going on when Kate was born was what? Well, William and Kate had a, had a son, <clears throat> George. And so well, we've got to put that in. And, and, the, and Katy Perry came out with another album. What's going on here? <clears throat> And, but, so George, we look at this, and, and George is the heir, this baby, this infant, he's the heir to all, to all that is his father's. His father is the, is the, 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 reign, the, the, the heir to the throne, and, and all that he has is gonna, going to be given to George. 
And now in this passage, on several occasions, it says those who are in Christ are referred to as sons. Sons. Now, is this just, it, what does this mean? And, and it says on several occasions. Now, yes, in, in, in it is right to look at our relationship with God as children. But particularly here, it uses the masculine plural. That we are sons, not children, not daughters, but sons. And now, is, is, this, is this being neglectful of Christian girls, of Christian women? Is there something else here? What, do we have, what should we understand? As he, he's really trying to drive this in, that we need to see ourselves, man, woman, and child, we need to see ourselves by faith in Christ as sons. Now, in the first century, the Jewish culture, the firstborn son, got everything. Everything was his. And Jesus is called the Son of God, the firstborn of all creation, not made, but gotten. Eternity past, always existing. The eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, existing with God, full of honor, full of glory, full of power. He is supreme over all things. The Bible says that Jesus, as the firstborn of all creation, is supreme over all things, and the world and all creation was made for him, by him, and through him. And everything, all authority in heaven and earth is given to him as the firstborn of all creation. By faith, we become sons. In the same way that by faith, man, woman, and child becomes the bride of Christ. Now, this isn't descriptive of a role, a gender role. So as men, women, and children, by faith, we become sons. And men, women, and children, by faith, become the bride of Christ. Not the husband, not the spouse, but the bride. These, these, these names, these words are describing a relationship. A picture of who we are in Christ. So a bride of Christ is not neglecting men who become Christians. And the sons of Christ are not neglecting, the sons of God are not neglecting Women who become Christian. We are heirs to all that God has, just like Jesus. Reading through this book called Abba's Child, written by a man named Brennan Manning. He's a pastor and Christian writer, and it's a great book. I recommend it. He actually passed away this year, and he has just done so much for the Christian faith and, and our understanding of this concept, of what it means to be God's children, and specifically God's Sons by faith. And there's this word that he used called ipsissima vox. Ipsissima vox. It's Latin for the very voice. The very voice of Christ. And he's saying this phrase, Abba, Father, that we cry out to call him dad. He says this is a particular phrase, a phrase that only one person has ever used and can use, and it's Jesus Christ. And it is describing a unique relationship a unique fellowship and friendship that Jesus has with God the Father. It is one that is so personal, so exceptional, so privileged, that no one else, no one else has with God the Father than Jesus, God the Son. And Jesus is saying to us, do you want to know Him like I know Him? Do you want a relationship with God the way that I do? I hope that that destroys you. 
in a way, in a good way. I hope that that opens up something new for you in your heart to realize what your relationship with God is really like, by faith, what it's really like. That there's only one person who is privileged enough to have this inner circle relationship with God. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you believe in me, everything that I have, I will give to you. That is just amazing. He invites us to share into this amazing relationship. And in John 17, Jesus actually prays. It's called the high priestly prayer. He's praying for us. He's praying for all people. And he says, I pray that they would be one as we are one. He is saying, I pray that as the gospel is preached to them and they believe in you, that they would, they would be just, their relationship would be defined just as our, mine is with you. There's a new name that Cohen has for me when I walk through the door. It's not new to me, but it's new to him. You know what he calls me now? Pete. (laughs) Pete. It used to be I walk through the door after work, and my son runs to me and says, Daddy! And now he looks up from his iPad and says, Hey, Pete. (laughs) There are only two people in the entire world who get to call me daddy, and really only one who is able to speak at this point. There is one person out of seven billion people on the entire face of the planet who is able to call me dad. What a privilege. What an honor. Stop calling me Pete. (laughs) Do you know what it means that you're the only one the only one who exists right now that gets to cry out and call me daddy, that has that blessing, that has that joy, that has that position in life. And this is what Jesus had. And he says it's special. And he says, I'm giving it to all of you. I'm sharing it with you. If you believe in me, this is the promise that God has promised to you. Adoption as sons. And the Spirit fills our hearts. And Paul says, we cry out and say, Abba, Father. And yet so many of us are still calling Him just simply, da- or simply God. Which is not the wrong name to call Him. But it's not the only name. Why call Him God when we get to call Him Father? When we have this privilege of of relationship with Him. Do you know that? Do you know that by faith in Christ, you are able to see Him as your dad? Because of our friendship with Christ, we can look at the Creator of all things and say, that's my dad. What a privilege. What a relationship. He loves me so much. Remember that as you fail, as you sin, as you doubt, that you are not reverted back to this status where you have to address Him by a formal, rigid name, but you get to address Him as the intimate Abba Father. And this may not comfort you, I realize that. Because you think of your dad and you are not brought to joy. You're brought to pain. You say, I don't want God to be my dad. I don't want him to be like my dad. 
Your earthly father may may have caused wounds that that are still so painful today that you're trying to live through, that you're trying to heal through, you're trying to work through. But God is our father and he is a perfect father. And we need to relearn as we look at God our father, we need to relearn everything that we've learned about what it means to be a dad, to have a dad, to know a dad. He's a perfect dad. And he tells us, he says, if your earthly father knows how to treat you well in some circumstances, how much more will your heavenly father know how to love you, to take care of you? He's perfect. He is a father to the fatherless. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. He says to his friends, he says, I'm going to leave you, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you a helper. I'll send you the Holy Spirit to come into your life and you will cry out, Abba, Father. You will have a belonging. You will have relationship forever. This relationship doesn't compare to any other relationship in all of existence. In any of our earthly relationships. I mean, look at, by association, what we have in Jesus. By association with Jesus, we have this relationship with God the Father, just like He does. And we get far more excited about our associations with other people or other things that we do on earth. I remember when I was very young, I was so, my best friend, his parents always stocked the freezer with toaster strudels. And so I always wanted to go over there. And my friend, I'm friends with him, and so I get toaster strudels after school. And I thought that was amazing. And then, and then when I grew up, I, I had a friend who got his license. There was a friend who got his license before anybody else. And so I was like, that's my friend, the one with the car. He has a license. He drives us back and forth up and down the street every night. You know, This is the privilege that I have to know him. We have a friend who, who's personal friends with Luis Gonzalez you know, with the Diamondbacks. And one day we were able to go and sit with him behind home plate and watch the game with Luis Gonzalez. Because of our association with these friends, we were, had this privilege. And now it just seems like, what do we get excited about when something comes up in our life? I mean, now I get excited by if I score like a really good group on or something. Like, yes, finally, I get this, I get this break. And, and, and Jesus is saying, do you know what you have because you have me? You have everything. Everything has been given to me and I'm sharing it with you. You're not lacking in anything. Right before he left the earth, Jesus, he, he said to his friends and in Matthew 28, this is a passage that we usually read because we want to inspire someone to go and be you know, evangelists and to share their faith and to teach people about the gospel. And, and it is that, but it is more than that. And I want you to hear these words in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying in his very last words, Remember what you have because you have me. I have everything. I'm sharing it with you. And I'm with you forever. I'm with you. You have everything. You have this relationship with God. And how easy is it for us to forget this throughout our day? If this is true, if we can cry out, Abba, Father, and if we have everything that Christ has, all the privilege of that relationship, all the blessing, all the promises, 
all the inheritance of what he's promised to Jesus, he's promised to us by faith. Why are we still anxious about anything? Why are we insecure about anything? Why do we care what people think about us in any way? Why are we troubled about tomorrow? Why do we think about our life in such a way that we don't have a God who's looking out for us, who's not caring for us, who's not loving us and giving us all that he has? He sends his spirit into our hearts. He takes up residence in our heart. He is present with us. He remains with us. He's with us forever. He's with you right now. So go to him. Cry out to him. Maybe for the first time, seeing this relationship that you have with God the Father because of God the Son, an heir to righteousness, an heir to the promise. Let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.